Hello there. From Feels Like Friday Films and Radio Nowhere, this is Did You Hear This? With your hosts, Zach and Paul. The arsonist was denied a bank loan. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Did You Hear This? With you, as always, I'm your host, Zach. And with me, as always, is my dear, dear frenemy. My name is Paul. Uh- <laughs> Paul has an amazing story for us today. I don't know how amazing it is. I'm just trying to hype up the depressing. Well, I, I, think of the it's, news. I think it's actually really amazing because it's not actually that depressing. It's, yeah. Which is hard to find right now, dear listener. It is, it is a horrible news cycle at the moment. So, Paul, hit us with what you got. All right. Well, our story today uh, comes out of Washington and in a week full of just bad news piling on bad news, whether it's the the earthquake in Haiti or the continuing uh, developing story that we touched on last week in Afghanistan, or even the fact that uh, Hurricane uh, Ida, Hurricane Ida, is now forecast to be a category four hurricane before landfall. Uh, We could have talked about all those things, but we wanted to try something a little bit more uplifting this week. And for that reason, I found this story. So on Wednesday, President Biden signed into law the PAWS Act, P-A-W-S. The PAWS Act, or Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Members for Veterans Therapy Act, authorizes the Secretary of Veterans Affairs to create a pilot program on dog training therapy that will provide dog training skills and service dogs to veterans with mental illnesses. Now, this is something that's been in the works for a long time. The uh, CEO of Canines for Warriors, Rory Diamond, is quoted as saying, this has been a five-year battle to try and convince the federal government that what we do every day is valuable and helps veterans. They're finally agreeing, and we're getting a big breakthrough here. Uh, The Senate has unanimously passed the bill uh, this last month. Wow, that's passed, unheard of. It was passed through the House in March, um, and it's a $10 million five-year pilot program beginning January 1st. Um, and the VA will be paying for service dogs for veterans in order to better assist the needs of veterans suffering from PTSD. So that's the story there, Zach. And I, I already hear, you know, you've said... It's so rare that we see Congress bipartisanly pass something unanimously. I don't actually remember the last time something was passed unanimously. Um, and it's hard to think of a better uh, better thing for the two parties to sort of coalesce around this idea that we do need to acknowledge the mental health needs of our veterans. And uh, one, of the, one of the therapies that's uh, very useful for people with um, PTSD or other trauma-driven um, mental health conditions is interaction with animals like this. So that's very cool. It is. It's uh, it, it's nice to have something where at least both sides, no matter how disparate or, you know, I'd argue that one side is particularly crazy and willing to say no to literally anything mm-hmm. that they're able to come together and actually vote on something. Now it's, it's odd considering how little support veterans have gotten and you know, I'd say recent years, but let's say 30 years now, Mm -hmm. really since Reagan. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's still, it's still nice to see that come together and and how great to tie it into animals as well. Right. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. there's been so much research that having an animal around really does help things like healing, mental health, et cetera, et cetera, even though there are, as we know, a lot of people in the world that take advantage of that. Well, we definitely see, um, you know, positive uses of animals for stress therapy. Um, you know, I, they brought in dogs every semester during finals when I was in college. Um, we're starting to see programs like that in high schools now. Um, and I think this speaks to uh, sort of a positive trend, I think, that we sometimes overlook because it's hard to track through all the different stories. But I think mental health is for the first time in a very long time, if ever, in this country, becoming a more prominent feature of our understanding of what healthcare is. Um, I know growing up, I came from a family that was, you know, only a couple of generations removed from immigrant from immigrating to this country. And we, you know, I, I don't think many of my family members um, prior to the last 20 or so years had ever been to therapy. I think it was something mm-hmm. that we sometimes look down on as that's weakness or that's a problem that's, you know, we don't want to talk about that because it's, it's, uh, it's too much. It's too far from the normal. And it's lovely to see that as our generation is beginning to mature into adulthood, even middle age, um, the focus on mental health has become much more consuming, I think, in our discussion of what healthcare is. And we've sort of destigmatized, um, in some places at least, the need for things like therapy or therapy yeah. dogs. It's such a great point. It reminds me of the, you know, meme that rolls around Reddit and other places from time to time where it's like, boomer oh my god did you hear she went to therapy Mm -hmm. how embarrassing Mm -hmm. and then it's you know millennial oh my god let me tell you what my therapist said yesterday right right yeah (laughs) and i think that that's ultimately going to be a better thing for our society is acceptance that maybe um mental normativity isn't as common as we thought it was um my wife and i often say you know uh having benefited from therapy ourselves um, pretty much everyone could benefit from just having someone to talk about their stresses with, Uh, you know, therapy is so important for mental health. And I think as it gains more um, acumen, more cachet as a normal part of life, that inevitably that's going to lead us to a better, a better place as a people and hopefully one where we're not so sharply divided as we come to understand that people outside of ourselves have thoughts and emotions and feelings. And we don't really understand the journey of anyone that we're not close to. Um, so instead of treating someone outside of that as you know, the other or something to be feared, maybe if we can keep moving in this direction on the frontier of mental health, um, we can reach a place where it's more common to think about other people before we act. Yeah. And I think you bring up a couple of amazing points there. And number one, you mentioned this term like mental normative or, and let's just, let's just admit there's not really a normal, there is no one Mm -hmm. mental state. Correct. Um, I've said for years that I don't care how well adjusted you are. Everyone can benefit from therapy. Just having Mm -hmm. that other springboard, that unbiased outside person to talk to, but maybe while everything's burning around us, you know, we'll leave the legacy of taking care of your own mental health. And I think you see it in a lot of other ways that are really important. I, we've seen a lot of very overt toxic masculinity lately. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But we've also seen way more public critique of it. We've seen more men uh, think of Terry Crews, for instance, out there yeah. who clearly very, quote unquote, masculine man's man guy, dude played in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. But advocates for being in touch with your emotions. And there's so much research that shows how important that is. Well, and I, I, I'm not sure how much of this you would identify with because we have different personalities and we have had different experiences despite growing up in the same place. But, you know, for me growing up, um, any kind of emotion outside of, you know, what was considered to be manly, that was, you know, a, a subject of ridicule. That was something you were supposed to suffer in silence or just not acknowledge. And I think that pushes us into a place where toxic masculinity flourishes Um, I I will say from experience, I was not the person I am now when we met. I was not the person I am now, even 10, 15 years ago. Um, And some of that comes down to, you know, finally getting treatment for mental health concerns. But it's also down to this new environment of creating a safer place to just be. Um, You know, we like I don't want to take anything away from anyone else's struggles, because let's be honest, the struggles of people that are not, you know, presenting as white heterosexual men, generally a lot more going on there. But from the position of being someone like that, the pressures on an, in childhood to conform to one version of masculinity are, I think one of the, one of the biggest problems that we face when dealing with the issues of why that particular type of toxic masculinity is so hard to remove there's almost a sense of like well i lived through it so they have to too and i think that that's really dangerous yeah it's it you, you're so spot on there and yeah i it's society like when i grew up same with you and we still see these things today it's, you hear things like man up mm-hmm. you know you know walk it off stuff like that which is right yeah <laughs> like but no. say my my support structure was was I was raised in an environment, family, friends, where it was okay if you were sad. It's okay to be sad. Right. And I mean, so was I. But, you know, that's all well and good until you get to school. Yeah. Right? But, uh, you know, that, that gives us an advantage over a lot of people who are raised in households where you might get beaten if you were crying. That's fair. But that's a hard reality to live in where... That's what you're socialized. It's not natural. It's not biological. It's socialized Mm -hmm. to be where the only expression of emotion you're allowed to have is anger and violence. Mm -hmm. And I think you see a lot of that in some of these things we brought up before, like the rise of fascism and Mm -hmm. and outwardly toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. as people are being forced to face things like emotions and they don't know how. So they turn to anger and hate and, and that's in that's no sad. way justifying like the the misdeeds that people no no do. you have to you have to at some point take responsibility for yourself correct correct so i getting back to our mainline story here i think this is an especially encouraging story because um when we start caring about the mental health of our veterans i think it'll go a long way towards healing some of the division in this country i think being able to bring in animals and particularly dogs which have proven through history to be so supportive and so helpful to us as a species um that's that's inevitably going to help things and i i think if we could reintegrate our interactions with animals into modern society I, I might actually help a lot of people with mental health. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, to tie it back to this toxic masculinity conversation we had, and of course, not all veterans are men, and it's going to help mm. women as well. But you're talking about amongst the male veteran population, some of those that are held up by this toxic masculine side as the manliest of men. Mm-hmm. And so if they see, hey, they need mental help as well, they connect with animals. You're right. It's a great it's a great starting off point. This is a great program. Uh, I hope it is successful. I hope so as well. So now that we've covered uh, one animal story, I'm really going to cross my fingers and hope that Zach picked up another great animal story for I our did. local flavor today. I, I wonder if I know which one it is, but I'm, I'm going to hand it over to you now. Here mm-hmm. it is. Wallaby Watch 21 continued. <laughs> no wallabies. So that was the story. Wait, 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 wait. I feel like we forgot something. Let's see. What did we talk about? Mental health. We talked about animals we took uh late stage capitalism <laughs> okay go uh now hey for once we can leave that topic off but right yeah paul and i we <laughs> paul does send the or whoever chooses the topic sends the topic a couple days ahead of time usually that's the plan sometimes it's like oh forgot here's the topic Mm -hmm. but the second topic is always blind Mm -hmm. and so mine is somewhat related here paul and that it is a dog story okay it's it's an adorable one so i'll just give you are there really are there really other kinds of dog stories i would say michael vick's dog story was not particularly adorable well that's true but hopefully the animals themselves went on to you know uh friendlier safer homes anyway so this comes to us from Walla TV, W-A-L-A. That is, yes, you, you, you guessed right. That's from Alabama. I knew it. And <laughs> the title of this is Lost Dog Turns Up Three Years Later, More Than 300 Miles Away. Oh, hell yeah. I love stories like this. Yeah, so a woman lost her dog three years ago. Three mm-hmm. years ago in Huntsville, Alabama. This is a woman who lost her. This is a woman who lost her dog three years ago in Dixie Green, Greenville of Huntsville, <laughs> Greenwell of Huntsville. Yes, she <laughs> says she never gave up hopes. She kept looking for all three years. Which I recently had a cat walk out, and I still keep an eye out. It's been I don't know two or three months, but I've definitely given up actively looking. I mean, we definitely have a cat that decided that it was an outdoor cat and then stopped coming around. But every now and then we see her and it's like seeing like uh, it's like seeing the white whale, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so this one dog's name of Charming was picked up by, get this, a woman named Faith. OK. Three, OK. 300 miles away. Uh huh in Baldwin County at a marathon gas station. And guess how she lured this dog into her car? Was it treats? Yes. Very specifically. Hot dogs. Corn corn dogs. I was so close. You were so close. You need to get a little bit more, more county fair there with it. That's fair. That's fair. And the moral of this story here is microchip your animals because Mm -hmm. this woman took it into a vet clinic. They scanned. There was a microchip. And three years, 300 miles later, Greenwell has been reunited with Prince Charming. 
Oh, so I'll, I'll be honest. The first thought I had was, is this dog named Chance? Was there also a cat? Was there a golden retriever? No cat, no Chance. No, nope, mm. no Dusty. No. Dang it. All right. Well, no. my other thought, though, once you said uh, lured it back in with corn dogs, is it feels like there's a story here to be told. And, you know, sometimes I do pitch meetings on our other sister podcast, and it just feels like somebody needs to write this like comic book or movie adaptation about the journey this dog took. Like we need to know inquiring minds want to know why 300 miles away. What was he doing there? Why corn dogs? Um, But I'm fascinated. And it's so awesome to hear about somebody being reunited with a lost pet like that. I think that's something we all sort of yearn for uh, anyone, anyone who's ever had the misfortune to lose a pet like that. Yeah. Anyone who's had a pet, even if you haven't lost a pet, you know how horrible it would be to lose your pet. And so it is a great feeling when when they can be reunited. So congratulations, Ms. Greenwell. And thank you to Faith for bringing Charming back home. Now let's make sure that they all get vaccinated because we're looking at you, Alabama. I thought you meant the dog. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, spay and neuter your pets, people. Come on. Don't make me Bob Bob Barker this. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Uh, The moral of the story for today is uh, spay and neuter your pets, hold them close, and forge those bonds with any animals that come into your lives. For all of us here, I'm Paul, and that's Zuck. And we'll see you next week. Did you hear this? Is a Radio Nowhere production. Co-produced by Feels Like Friday Films. From all of us here, have a better tomorrow.